2 Corinthians chapter 8, we are looking at verse 10 through chapter 9, verse 5. Chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians deal with our favorite theological topic, giving. And everybody gets overwhelmed when you step into it. But in these two chapters, it's actually pretty awesome what God has given to us. The section that we are in right now is, how do I have integrity in stewardship? When I talk about integrity, it is for those who are giving, it is for those who are collecting, and it will be for those who would be receiving. Okay, how do I cover all three aspects of that? And that's what the nine points in your outline deal with. Integrity and stewardship, integrity and giving. So if you would join with me in prayer and then we'll read the word of the Lord and pick it up and run. Father, to you and you alone, my King, you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And yet, Father, you have given us this great sphere, the planet Earth, with its riches, its comforts, Father, it's awesome beauty and it's awesome power. Help us, Lord. Help us to rejoice at what you've done. Father, help us to embrace it with grateful hearts. And Father, when we see you working and we know that it is your purpose and we know that it is your plan and it is done in your power, Father, let us line up to give lavishly. We love you, Father, and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Beginning at verse 10, chapter 8. I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage. Who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. But now finish doing it also, so that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. For if this readiness is present... It is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supplying their need so that their abundance may also become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much, did not have too much. He who gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he has gone to you of his own accord. We have sent along with him the brother whose fame in these things of the gospel has spread through all of the churches. And not only this, but we also have been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work, which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our readiness, taking precautions so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. We have sent with them our brother whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and my fellow worker. 
among you. As for the brethren, they are messengers of the churches, a glory to Christ. Therefore, openly before the churches, show them proof of your love and of our reason of boasting about you. It is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I have boast of you to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be empty in this case, so that, as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if the Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame of this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they should go ahead to you, arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. In the terms of our giving, whether it's individually or collective, we are challenged to line up with God's plan. The Corinthians had a desire a year earlier to do this for the saints that were struggling in Jerusalem. And God was working. He had opened a door. There had been a conflict between the Corinthian church and the Apostle Paul. Some people had come in. It was challenging his character and his integrity. And upon doing so, it was opening venues for false teachers to come in. If I can destroy the man, then I can destroy his teaching. If I destroy his teaching, then I can wrap it into whatever I want. And one of the ways that is very common is to... How are they doing with money? You and I have been in an era and in a time where we've seen a lot of people. I know four churches here in Castle Rock right now who have gotten rid of their pastors because of impropriety with the money. Okay, And, And then you know what? Part of it, I just look at and say, you did it yourself. You had no accountability. If you got no accountability, you're sitting duck, even if you don't do nothing. You know, my accountability in this church is I can't touch any accounts. I mean, I can't write a check. There's nothing I can do. All right. So that is about as accountable as I can get. I can't touch it. All right. So when I when I go through some of these things, my question has always been as a pastor, as a brother in Christ, is I want to find out what God is doing and how he's doing it. I mean, it is that simple. I mean, some people say, well, there's more dynamics to it. No, there ain't. And and that's what I want to do. I want to see what God. I looked at what God when we moved into Russia years ago, and there was no evangelical voice. And then what God has taken this small congregation has done is miraculous. And I like that because we can't take credit for it. It ain't like we're a mega church and we can just go plant seminaries and hospitals and orphanages all over the world. We do it because God opened the door for the proclamation of his word to stand in his truth. And out of that has grown all of the rest of it. The same thing with Pastor Philip in Punjab, India. And the same is with Pastor Paul in Tedham in Burma. 
Okay, so it's always that way. Now we've got doors opened in Russia, Georgia, Azerbaijan, and and now you just sit there and kind of snicker, thinking, oh, "Golly, what's the old Lord now?" All right, what is he doing, and how is he doing it to accomplish the purposes of God that involves the ministry of the church? Okay, now I'm going to go through the church really quickly because. The first thing you should give to the church, okay? And because we have all of the aspects of the church. Let me show you the aspects of the church. And this makes me a little uncomfortable, but you guys are just going to have to get over it. First, foremost, support the leaders in the church who preach and teach. Okay? Note what I did not say there. The worship team, the musicians, no. Now, if the preacher can also play an instrument, well, sure. But the Bible is emphatic about those. Those who preach and teach, those who work hard at it, Paul told the Thessalonians, were worth double honor. I didn't write that. Paul wrote that. Those who work hard at preaching and teaching are worth double honor. The ox should not be muzzled as it treads. In 1 Corinthians 9, it says, Those who preach the gospel should be able to live by their preaching. Galatians 6, Those who have taught should share with those who teach in all good things. So those who have learned from the man who is the preacher teacher, you should share with. So we give to the church first and foremost. And, and, and I'm not into a building. Please understand that. The church is a body of people. In, in Russia, one of the things is where you have a, a, a building where they come together, they call it a house of prayer. The church are the people in the house of prayer. Okay, we give to the church to support those who teach. Okay, but we also give to the church for the support of the saints. Those who have need, please make sure you understand this word. Those who have need, not those who have want. Okay. We've got to be careful about that. In Acts chapter 4, it says that the church brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet to give to those who were truly in need. Those who were moving around teaching and preaching knew the needs of the people. And as they moved around to the needs of the people, they knew who had need. That's where it begins in the local church. These are the purposes of God. Give as to Christ. And he builds his church, right? He's going to do that through the preaching and teaching and meeting the needs of the fellowship. But the next thing that we have to look at, there are opportunities to give in extended ways. All right. Ministries around the world. We need to be wise to these. All right. We need to be discerning to these. We need to support the things that are truly of God. There is a lot of things out there that said, this is of God. Is it? 
Is it? And what we've been going through in verse 10 through chapter 9, verse 5, is those things. Really straightforward. Um, I see debt many times that are not necessary. And, and I'm, not, I'm not talking about individual debt. I'm talking about churches going into a debt that is not necessary. When they do that, I know emphatically what they're doing is not of God. This is not God's purpose. It usually has a high odor of self-indulgence. Uh, I have the privilege of go- traveling in Europe and in England, and, and they've got some massive churches. Okay, I mean, gee, many cricket churches. Uh, I've seen a, a, a church uh, just about two blocks away from uh, the Tower of London, and their organ was up on the back wall, and it was bigger than this room. Okay. Now, this had originally was an Anglican church. Uh, it had died and withered from within and was given over to the Baptist Union. And it's now a Baptist church. Uh, I preached in that church. And um, the acoustics in it were staggering. I mean, you had two balconies above you that went all the way around you. Then the back wall away from you was this organ. And then I don't know how many pews were in front of me. And uh, they had a, 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 for lack of a better term, a barrel that you climbed up this rickety stairs and you got into the back of it and you just kind of were like this. You had a place to lay your Bible and it came up to about here on me. And so you see my little beanie head sitting there with my Bible. And I thought, man, this is kind of cramped. And then you look down and there was a band that was sitting there just above where my Bible was. And it just cut me to the heart. It says, sir, we would see Christ. Let me off of this barrel. (laughs) Okay. But you could speak at a just a normal and you could hear it throughout the whole stinking. And it's a massive thing. The, The stained glass windows on the main floor were 25 feet tall. Okay, so you kind of get an idea and it's all vaulted and all. And I, you just sit there and go, wow, nice church. So anyway, there are times that I watch churches who want that and they've missed the important things and it becomes self-indulgent. I see it in spades here in our community, here in our community. A lot of these ministries are without proper integrity. Okay, they don't have no accountability. All right, they have a leadership core team committee, whatever you want to call it, and they're driving the bus and telling everybody what has to be done. So the question that shows up is, how do we know? How do I know that this ministry that I want to give to is a ministry of integrity that knows what God's plan is and is doing God's will and he's doing it by the power of God? How do I know that? All right. That's what your outline is. One, verse 10, it is voluntary. 
It is voluntary. Giving with integrity is voluntary. How God and the Holy Spirit moves on your heart that you should give. The Macedonians gave generously. The Macedonians gave sacrificially. And the Macedonians were the group of of very poor churches. You have Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. Okay, Achaia, down in Achaia where Corinth is, is very wealthy, very well to do. And yet... These guys in the the churches in Macedonia were giving sacrificially. But he makes a statement. He says, this is my opinion. Okay, but it is to your advantage. See what God is doing. Know that it's voluntary. All right. Secondly, finish it. Verse 11, first part of verse 11. Finish what you have. If God has put the earnest desire in your heart... Finish it. God doesn't put the desire in your heart and says, but we'll only do it halfway. He doesn't do it that way. If he puts the desire in your heart, then finish the task. All right. Give as one has. God does not build by MasterCard and Visa. Okay. I know there's a lot of people who think he does, but he doesn't. You know, I I get offers almost weekly for the church to put those uh, card readers. And you you can just lay a card reader in the offering plate and pass it around. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. All right. I, I don't want no part of that. I don't want no part of that. All right. So give as one has. There's some people that may be living, have a well to do job and be living very well. They can give more than somebody who has, you know, maybe he's unemployed right now. But you still give. And you watch what God does. Why? It's still to your advantage. Okay. It balances the body, verses 13 through 15. The word there is equality. And that word is driving me nuts right now because it's on TV every time I turn the news on. Equality of something. That is not what that word means in the original language. In the original language, it means to balance it. It's, it's used, if you take it and put an uh, ology on it, it is the weight balance of the globe that you are standing on. All right? And there's a balance to it. All right? And that's what he's saying. There's a balance. There's, there are some in the church uh, who are in need. There are some in the church who have To meet that need. And they need to step up. Alright. So there's a balance to it. But it is also giving is submission. Okay. And if I'm going to give with integrity. Then I have to submit to the godly men. God has put over me. These men have to account for my souls. That's what Hebrews 13 says. The elders must give an account for your souls. All right. Part of that accounting is, do you submit to their authority? Do you believe that that guy God put there? It's that that simple. Then if you say yes, then you must be submitted to it. And that drives people nuts. I don't want to be submitted to it. Okay, take it up with the boss. All right. So you have submission to the leadership, but it's also accountability. You look here. Paul was Jewish. All right. He's wanted to take a collection to the Jews in Jerusalem. Right. All right. Well, they may think that he's well, you know, he's playing favorites, but it says Titus is the one who shared it. Titus is a Gentile. But he has the same heart that the Apostle Paul does. But then he gets a guy who is famous. Known for his preaching. 
And he wants to be on board with it too. And then there's another guy that all of the churches know who's been diligent at many things and he wants to go. So now you have accountability between Titus and these two other gentlemen and Paul. So they're accountable. Everybody knows what's going on. All right. It expresses love. Verse 24. Therefore, openly before the churches. That means before their faces. Show us before the people. We don't have. This is that word that you hear a lot today. Transparency. Okay. That no one knows what the definition is. All right. It means I can see what is going on. That's why we every six months give you a budget. I can show you this is what we took in. This is where we spent and this is where we spent it. All right. It's transparent. There's nothing. We're not hiding anything. So you, you take this and because you will do this openly before the others, then they'll see that the our boasting shows our love. The people in Russia and the people in Myanmar and the people in India know that you guys love them because you give faithfully. And you always have. And they know that. All right. So it shows the love. Then verses one through four of chapter nine, giving sets an example. All right. Paul boasted about the Corinthians had started collecting for the Jerusalem church for a year. Okay? This motivated the Macedonians. And the Macedonians started collecting and started giving sacrificially too because they saw the work that the Corinthian church was doing and they wanted to be a part of it. I've had a couple of churches in, 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 in the United States have heard what we do and they jump on because they hear how God has honored it. Now, I know that emphatically the easiest part of it is we teach the word, period. I don't have no bells. I don't have no whistles. I don't have no audio visual. I don't have no sound effects. I don't have no fireworks. All right, I'm going to give you what the word says and I'm going to let the spirit of God take that word in your soul and do what God does. Conform you into the image of Christ. All right, when that starts happening, all of a sudden there's it's it's like dropping a stone into a lake. There's this massive ripple effect. When we look at what we did in Orel, Orel had two churches when we set up shop there. Two churches, one on the north side of the town, one on the south side of the town. That was it. All right. The obelisk or state of Orel is about the size of Virginia and the Carolinas. Right now, we have 17 churches in that area. And they're all Bible preaching churches of men that we personally taught. I didn't plan that. I didn't plan that at all. We now have an orphanage. We're doing some work in some hospitals and a couple of different orphanages uh, in the north side of the obelisk and down on the south side of the obelisk. And it all, I remember uh, taking quilts. I had this great big, huge, gee, suitcase. And you guys decided, the ladies decided, not the guys, the ladies decided to stitch a bunch of quilts. And then I put them in them, them vacuum bags and and sucked them all flat. And I had about 40. Okay. 
um, in one suit <laughs> for 10 days. And, you know, you could look at it, and I got it all in there, but that sucker weighed about 400 pounds. <laughs> but, you know, there's no weight limit when you fly international. I'm like, dude, I got a Buick in there. Don't bother it. Okay. Uh, but, you know, but the, I see pictures from the orphanages of these quilts that the ladies sewed, and they're in all of these beds of these orphans. They touch people. They touch people. And it sets an example. It sets an example. All right. But the ninth point is overcoming. Giving that has overcome the sin of covetousness. When covetousness is there, then there's no integrity. And we can all say in three-part harmony, duh. Okay. If the project or the enterprise or the ministry is of God, if it is God's work done in God's way, then the work deserves your gift. Okay? You have it to give. And if you don't, it's sin. Pretty clear, really. If you look at verse 5. The bottom line is, you fail to give what God has fully promised. What are you doing? You're sinning. He says here, we have urged the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift. All right. He had urged the three to go on before him, to go on ahead of Paul, to get the ministry completed, the project. It has been arranged beforehand. It had a previously promised a year before bountiful gift. Okay, as soon as the Corinthian church heard what was going on in the Jerusalem church, guess what? They began giving. All right. And they promised to have a bountiful gift. Okay, bountiful. That word in the original language is a huge, large amount. So they had promised a year ago for the saints in Jerusalem, we will give a large amount. Paul is reminding them and he is pushing toward fulfilling your commitment. You had an earnest desire at the beginning of this. It's been over a year. There's been some conflicts in chapter seven. We've seen the conflict has been resolved back to the task at hand. You promised a bountiful gift. Okay. They had an amount that they had promised and he says, make sure that it's ready. Okay. And. Make sure this promised bountiful gift is not affected by covetousness. Paul here, in just a brief amount of words, identifies one of the great sins, maybe the greatest sin that affects your and my giving. 
Plenexus. Plenexus. It means to covet or greed. Plenexus. It literally, if you look at it in the original language, it means to grasp, to hold more, grasping, to get more at others' expense. Selfishness, pride. And in the end, churches and stewardship programs are successful because God's people are not covetous. Or shouldn't be. After all, you know, if this ministry is a ministry of integrity, and I go through these eight points and say, yes, 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 but you don't step up, guess what? You're sinning. That is the only issue that is left. I know it's being done the way the Lord wants it done, but I don't want to do it. Then you're coveting. Are you going to respond to what God has asked in a righteous manner or a sinful manner? Okay, so, and I mean, the end, I mean, basically what Paul's giving you here in verse 5 is in the end, the issue is covetousness. Remember, when it came to the law, the Apostle Paul said what? I am blameless. Except. What condemned the Apostle Paul? Coveting. You know what's amazing about coveting? You can't tell if they are or not. Okay. If somebody's committing adultery, mm, I can spot that. (laughs) If somebody is stealing, no problem. If they're not honoring their parents, that's easy to spot and all the rest of it. But coveting, they can sit there and smile right at you. And you don't know they're doing it. Coveting. It's fascinating um, what the Bible teaches about coveting. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 7, beginning of verse 18, Jesus speaking to a crowd... They were discussing about why his disciples weren't washing their hands ceremonially before they ate. And he said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into a man uh, from the outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, that which is out of the man, that is what defiles the man. From within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adultery, deeds of coveting, wickedness as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. You know what he just said right there? One of the bases of humanity right now, man's depravity, is coveting. It's woven right into your very fiber. It's where we all started. It is... 
part of our depravity is coveting. It's part of our fallenness. Peter likes to beat around the bush, if you've ever read Peter. It's really tough to figure out what Peter's trying to tell you, isn't it? I mean, we all want to argue with him, but you know what? The, in an economy of words, thus saith the Lord. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 14, Having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart... Now listen to this. Having a heart trained in greed... Coveting. Coveting. A covetous heart is trained in greed. It has been selfish so long, you become habitually greedy. Those, Paul tells us, those who are covetous is idolatrous. If there is a purpose of God laid before us, It is being done God's way before us. And you have the opportunity and the resources to support it. And you don't. Okay. And I don't care what your reason is. Right. I want to be specific about this. I don't care what your reason about. You don't step up. Instead of worshiping God, you have worshiped an idol. I don't have no idols in my house. Yeah, you do. What your money buys you is your idol. And if you don't step up to what God is doing with the resource God has given you, then you say, God, you're not worthy of my worship, but this thing is. It is what you want that makes you hold back from giving in what you worship. Did you see that? People will worship possessions. They may have cares. They may have a house that they want. They may have a vacation they want. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. You covet is what you worship. It's easy to spot. It is easy. I tell you what, you can spend just a brief moment with a person and you can know what they worship. Doesn't take long. Doesn't take long. Ecclesiastes 5.10. Solomon says, Covetous people are never satisfied and never thankful. You know what you got to do with that? Amen. Amen. People who covet are never thankful. They never have enough. Why? They are grasping more even at the detriment of others. They never have enough, so they never are thankful for what they have. And you know what? I hate to break the news to you. That is about as ugly a thing that I have ever seen in a church. But I've seen it in the church. In the letter to the Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 3, but immorality and any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as it is proper among the saints. Did you see what he just said? It shouldn't even be named among the saints of God. And he puts it in a line, immorality, impurity. 
He's saying coveting is on the same level as pornography. And it shouldn't be named among the saints. I don't even want to hear about it, Paul says. In Micah chapter 2, verse 2, covetousness leads to the oppression of others. It's true. It leads to foolishness and hurtful lust, 1 Timothy 6.10. That same verse, it leads to the departure from the faith. And it leads to lying. It leads to stealing. It leads to murder. It leads to misery. And it leads to poverty. And it all started out with what? Coveting. Psalm 10, verse 3. Covetousness causes one to curse and spurn the Lord. Those who are depraved, who have no knowledge of God. Romans chapter 1, verse 29 says, they are filled with all greed. And you know what? It's not supposed to be that way in the saints. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 and 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Those who covet will not be saved. Did you know that? I don't know about you, but that's kind of powerful. Ephesians 5, 5. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Okay, how important is this? Because I tried to, I tried to tell you, if, if somebody's coveting, it ain't like you can sit there and see them sitting in their chair going, covet, 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 covet. Okay, it's, it's, you know, I think they're coveting. Why? It's got sweat coming off their forehead. You can't see it, but you can hear it. Where's the gratitude? Where's the gratitude? And then how important is this? He told the Corinthians, and, and first Corinthians, you remember that was a mess, right? Just just for your update. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, if you know one who is covetous, you know what you're supposed to do? Stay away from him. But I thought we were supposed to be gracious and loving unless they're coveting. You stay away from them. Don't associate with greedy people have left an ugly stain on this world. I was reading John Calvin's commentary on this. And covetous people, Calvin called them, quote, the Balaams of the world, unquote. You know who Balaam is, right? A preacher for hire. The Balaams of the world. He went on and said, the Ahabs. The Achans of the world, the Sauls, 
the rich young rulers of the world, the Ananias and Sapphira of the world. And of course, we must not leave out he who covets the most, Judas. For silver, he betrayed the Son of God. What would be the basis of that? Coveting. Let me ask you a question. Who do you want to be named among? You want to be named among Achan, Judas, Ananias, and Sapphira? What kind of company do you wish to keep? What kind of reputation do you wish to have? You need to run from greed and coveting. And you do it by being unselfish and generous and understanding that the Bible is exactly what it says it is. And when I give generously, when I give sacrificially, it is to my advantage. Basically, coveting is a little battle in your mind. Every one of you. Okay? Here's the battle. If you ask yourself, if you are covetous, and there is any hesitation whatsoever, you probably are. Probably are. If there is an impulse in your heart to give, don't fight it. Because if you try to fight it, it will be covetousness trying to hold on. To hold on. I have been around long enough to know that my Lord can stretch a dollar. I've been around long enough to know that he can shrink a dollar. I have seen people with much who were covetous who had nothing. I have seen people who had nothing and were generous and had everything. It's amazing to me. Everybody talks. They says, well, you've got several Harley Davidsons. How did you get those? I feel guilty telling you. Both of them were given to me. What are you supposed to say? No. What can I say? I mean, I worked on one. The guy couldn't pay me. His wife was divorcing him. He said he didn't want her to get it. He signed the title to me. Well, all right. I was looking more for a Corvette, but that, that's fine. The first one that I've got, my best man gave me. He had bought it for his wife. It was more than she could handle. And he said, take it. We'll ride together. What am I supposed to do? And I've got a third one that my son in Australia is making the payments on. I'm keeping. No, I just... <laughs> I don't, I'm going to teach that boy a lesson. <laughs> just kidding. If there's an impulse in your heart, brothers and sisters, give. Don't fight it. The giving God honors and God demands is only hindered by your sin or my sin and is the sin of coveting. 
the sin of covetousness. Remember, giving is voluntary. It is faithful. It gives as we have. It is a balance in the body of Christ. It gives because I'm in submission to the authority God has placed over me. It gives for an accountability. So the integrity is there that I know that it's transparent. It expresses love for people that I may not see until glory. It gives sets an example to other churches and other Christians. And it overcomes coveting. Okay, now then. The good part, my favorite part. Are you ready? You want to write these notes down. Okay, it's a real simple note. You have been instructed you are now responsible. Did it make your day or what? Many opportunities. Be grateful. Do it in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Right now on the planet Earth, there are more Christians being martyred than ever in the history of the church. Right now. And I've seen so many on the planet Earth who are Christians who have absolutely nothing. And I look around even just this group and know that we have so much. Even our poorest are richer than most Christians on this planet right now. So my prayer for you all. Hold lightly. Hold lightly. Because what is your dependency on? What is your dependency on? Discern, please. Let's pray. Father, to your glory and praise, thank you. Thank you so much for the amazing things that you do. Lord, I thank you for this text. I thank you for my brother Paul. Father, I thank you for the Corinthian church and the Macedonians and even those in Asia Minor, I believe, who were also involved. And Father, I just pray that we, we Castle Rock Baptist Church, would set an example. And that, Father, what we do here would be heard around the world. And Father, that it would stir an earnestness in your people in this country to step up and stop their coveting. And Father, let us be found walking worthy of our calling and the power and the majesty of the King of kings and Lord of lords. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.